0: Alrighty, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter five, and I want to draw your attention this morning to verses twenty through uh, two through twenty six. Now, before we read it, I just let me let me say this: in Christendom, you often hear a lot of times about the proof or the evidence of the Spirit. And even in theology, it can be a uh, source of uh, debate. Is there proof? Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit? And some have pointed to one thing, some to another, some say, well, you have to speak in tongues, you know, or whatever. Whatever. But one thing, as you study through the scriptures, one thing that keeps popping up that's evident is that if there is an evidence, if there's a proof, it's love. It's love. Jesus said, By this one thing, men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love one toward another. So it's love. And so often, as we're going to see, we often think that that's something that I can achieve on my own. And yeah, with that said, let's see what the Bible says about that. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit, if you're taking notes, make note that it said fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have, if you're making note, make note, that's present tense, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul here said that it was the fruit of the Spirit, that what it was is love, which in the Greek is an interesting word. It's the word agape. Most of you probably know that. In its basic form, the word agape in the Greek means unconditional love. In the Bible... There's basically three words uh, that are translated from the Greek word uh, as love. First one is agape, which we're dealing with this morning here, uh, which is what Paul says and uses here as unconditional love. It's that kind of love that, we, that God has for us. Then there's the Greek word phileo, which is a brotherly type love. Thus, we have a city of Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. It comes from that same word. And then there's eros, eros type of love, which in the Greek, it's a romantic type love. And that's the kind of love that you have between a husband and a wife. It's, it's a eros type love. There's a fourth word in the Greek, uh, which is strogane, and, and it, it's not found in the Bible, but it's the kind of love that is between a, a father and a, and a child. But those three are used. Now, in our English translations... We do find that our language is a bit limited, much more than it is in the Greek uh, in defining the word love, especially. The Greek language is much more expressive, much more definitive about what is meant and what is being communicated when we're talking about the uh, issue of love. Now, unfortunately, in our English language, we have one word that we use, and that's love. That's the only word we have. That's the only one we have. Everything uh, from the Greek, whether it's agape, phileo, or eros, they're all rendered love. And I think if if you really give that any concentration at all, you should be able to see the problem with that, okay? What kind of love are you talking about? As English-speaking Americans, um, We can be quite lackadaisical when it comes to the issue of using the term love. We pretty much throw it out there for everything. Although we intend for it to have a specific meaning, uh, we use it so much, and we use it in every way when you think about it, and we use it all too easily, and we make it all too common just to throw out, you know, I love whatever. So it's nothing for me to say I love my car, although I wouldn't say that, but... I love hamburgers. That's evident. You know, or I love something. You know, I love this, I love that, I love fishing, I love golf, I love football. We throw that word out. I love you. Sometimes, you know, we even connect to, you know, I love my car. I love you too, baby. You know, it's crazy. You know, it's just we make it so common that it often begins to lose its true meaning. especially when we say it, but we don't show it. Paul the Apostle made it very clear in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. What kind of love is the supreme expression of the Christian experience? There in the verse there, he says, it's in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says, and now abideth, you know this verse, faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these is Charity. So the word here, translated charity, where actually almost everywhere else in the Bible it's translated love, comes from the same Greek word. It, came from, it comes from the word agape, that unconditional type love. In the English, of course, charity means love in action is really what it means. And I guess when you think about <clears throat> the issue of God and His love towards you, that explains it pretty well. Love in action. God sending His own Son... To do for me what I could not do for myself and for you and for what you could not do for yourself. That explains it pretty good, I think. God's love in action is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm good with that. I love that. Agape, the supreme love that God expresses towards you and me because it's unconditional. You never want to forget that. You know, God loves you in spite of you, okay? Not because of you. Trust me on this one. It's biblical. He got, God loves me in spite of me. We were having a theological discussion before service this morning. Some of you guys are reading The Kingdom of the Cults, and it's a great book, and you learn a lot from that. And One l- leader of a cult, and I won't mention it this morning, but had taught that, God saved you because, and, and, and allowed you to believe in him because he saw something in you that was worth saving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's called sin. <laughs> that's what he saw <laughs> because that's what we we're all born into. Nothing could be further from the truth. God saved you in spite of you. And thank God he does that. Thank God he loves us unconditionally. You know, God in His sovereignty, because He knows all things. He knows you beginning, your middle, and your end. He knows the stupidity of sin that each and every one of us have been involved in. And He knew it from the start. You know, there's a few of us in this fellowship that used to be employers. Some of you still are. But often I have to admit, when I was interviewing people for a particular type of job, had I known, Some of the craziness that went on in their lives, I would have just went, file 13, that one, next. God doesn't do that with you and me. The fact is, when God opens up your eyes that you come to that understanding of your need for a Savior, Uh, He did it in spite of you. Even though He knows you through eternity, and He saw the good, the bad, and the ugly, He picked you anyway. Thank God for that. Agape love unconditional. Thus, the Apostle John in his epistle, his first epistle, said that we are not to love in word only, but in deed and in truth. Once again, my point is that because of our English language, where everything is clumped into one word, which is love, and because it's so abused and so misused, We can read these passages and come away with the wrong idea about the issue of love. And we somehow think that agape love, that unconditional love, is something to be obtained. Listen to me. Or something for which we should strive. Listen to me carefully. Don't misunderstand me. Thus you wind up with people who say, I love you to your face. And then they really don't show it because it wasn't real in the first place. Many of us have felt the sting of betrayal. I would venture to say everybody sitting here, and even those who are listening to me by some other means, have experienced betrayal at some time in your life, in some way, shape, or form. And some of us have even been the perpetrators of that. And there's really nothing worse that we can conceive of than love that is falsely so-called. In our text this morning, Paul said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, or excuse me, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. The reason that Paul gave this description is because he was giving us a contrast in that text. The contrast that Paul, of course, was giving Uh, was found there in in the same chapter, but starting in verse 19. If you just look up in your text there, you're already there. Look at chapter 5. Look at verse 19. This is the contrast that Paul was telling us what love looks like and what the flesh looks like. Now, the works of the flesh, and once again, make note that he says works, they're manifest. Which are these? Adultery. Fornication. Now, fornication is an umbrella term here. It's in the Greek. The word's porneo. It's actually where we get the word pornography from. It doesn't mean pornography. Sometimes people think, oh, pornography, they, they kind of clump that into one understanding. But in reality, it simply means anything of a sexual nature that is not condoned in Scripture covers it all. It's kind of an umbrella term. Uncleanness. He's talking about morality, uncleanness, lasciviousness, wantonness, that kind of stuff. Lustfulness is what that means. Idolatry. Sometimes we we hear idolatry and we think, well, I won't worship idols. Really? How much do you love that car? How much do you love football? How much do you really love? You see the more I say I love something, sometimes that thing in and of itself becomes an idol when I put it before my walk with the Lord, when, when I will do that when all else, you know, when I could be doing something for God. So keep that in mind. I know we say these words and we, we hear them, but yet sometimes we think they don't apply to us. But, you know, then he goes on. He says, witchcraft. In the Greek, the word pharmakia. It's where we get the word pharmacy from. In the early years, and some of your Bibles might say sorcery there instead of witchcraft. Same word, pharmakia. It's, it's where we get the word pharmacy from. And, and basically, it's the use of a drug. And the early sorcerers, that's what they did. They would drug their participants, and then they would lead them through. And of course, those people would hallucinate and think that these sorcerers had power that they really didn't have. So it's drug abuse. But he goes on. Hatred, variance. Emulations. That's an interesting word. And that word simply means to to want to better yourself on somebody else's cost, if you understand what I mean. It means to make yourself better than somebody else, but at their cost. Emulations. wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like Paul says. So Paul says, if anything even looks like this, if anything doesn't look wholesome, he clumps it all in there. If I left anything out, and such like of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Very straightforward. You see, everything that Paul mentioned here, the works, plural, of the flesh, he said are manifest. They're evident. They're evident. They're evident. What he's simply saying is that any reasonable person will say that all these things that we just read, that Paul mentioned here, are wrong. They're not only wrong, but they're sinful. And they're so wrong, Paul says, so sinful that Paul warned many times that those who live, whose lives are modeled after these traits... Those whose lives show these kind of attributes will not inherit the kingdom of God. Some people would be concerned when when reading such a statement, and uh, should be concerned, actually, when reading this statement. I believe wholeheartedly that from the time the apostle penned this verse, many people reading it came to the false conclusion that somehow... They had to muster up the strength, you see, to do just the opposite. It's like, ooh, that's, uh, that's the stuff that'll get you in hell. Well, I don't want to do that, you know. So then they start trying not to do those things. Thus, many people have tried to walk in love, to perform loving things, to do that which is the exact opposite of the things that Paul said will not inherit the kingdom of God, And while that might seem like a good thing on the outside, in reality, it creates people who are walking in a false sense of security. And what I mean is that because they are pursuing by doing that which they believe is the expression of love, okay, they often are doing it with the wrong motivation, Thus, we find ourselves in the same position that the Apostle Paul found himself there in Romans 7:21, when he said, when I would do good, I find that evil is present with me. And, of course, talking about his relationship before he had his Damascus Road experience. As when he was a Jew, he was doing those things, but he had no peace in it. He had no joy in it. He certainly wasn't doing it out of love, not really. He thought he was. In fact, Paul persecuted the church of Jesus Christ because he thought he loved God. You remember Jesus even gave that prophecy in the gospel when he said, those who persecute you will think that they do God a service. That was Paul the apostle. So he thought he loved God, and so he persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. So this is what Paul was trying to have us to understand. When dealing with the issue of love, you see, it's not something that is to be pursued. I understand that we should desire it. Don't don't misunderstand me. This is evident. But it's nothing that you can achieve on your own. And that's what we have to understand as Christians. You can't do it on your own. Why? Why? Because ultimately, it will be phony. Somewhere in your expression of love, there will be a selfishness to it. This is what Paul meant when he said, when I found it, when I would do good evil was present with me. There was something wrong, something tainted with his expression of love. There will be that selfishness, that evil intent, which Paul spoke about there in Romans 7. The reason is it's there is because it's not real. It's not real. It's not genuine. Thus, you can go through the motions of devotion. And you might even fool a lot of people. But we will never fool God. We have to deal with Him with whom we have to do. God is able to see into our soul, friends. He knows us. I've often told people, I said, you know, what you are when you're all by yourself... When you're alone in that room, when there's nobody else around you, that's what you really are. You know it, and I know it, but above all, God knows it. Thus, it's easy to, unfortunately, go through the motion of devotion. God isn't as concerned with what you do as with why you do it. That's something we have to really get into our soul. In the 15th chapter, and I want you to turn there, of John, the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter, I want to show you something that Jesus said. It's very powerful. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Gospels. Jesus was talking to his disciples. There in John 15, I just want to look at three verses. The first one I want to show you is here in verse 5. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do what? Nothing. But look at what he says closely there. He said, if you abide in me and I in you, See, it's a two-way street with Jesus. Remember Matthew 7 people, right? They knew Jesus. But what did he say to them? I didn't know you. So Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, then he says what? You will bring forth fruit. Doesn't say you might. Doesn't say it'd be nice if you did. He says you will bring forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Because it's Christ that's doing it, you see. Look at verse 8 in that same chapter. He says, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. And then finally, verse 16 in the same chapter. You have not chosen me. I have chosen you. And ordained you. That you should go And bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I love the fact that Jesus is the one who does the choosing. I love the fact that he picks, he ordains. I've had people argue with me so often over the years about the doctrine of election. I'm going, you don't believe it because you don't read it. It is plastered throughout the Scriptures, over and over again. God chose you. God picked you, and He picked you, not because of you, but in spite of you. And He blesses you, and He uses you in order to bring forth much fruit. And not only will your life bring forth fruit, but your fruit's going to remain. It's going to. It's not a matter of works, my friends, which ultimately almost always manifest in things that are sinful. That's what works do. But it is altogether of bearing fruit, as Paul says. It's not a work. It's a supernatural byproduct of a born-again believer. It's a supernatural byproduct. Thus, Paul, in our text here in Galatians 5.22 and 23, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. You see, really, what Paul was saying is that genuine fruit of the Spirit is love, just like we started off with what we were talking about. All the other things that he mentions after that are the attributes of that love agape love unconditional love, the love that produces works without effort. And so often we hear that because that sounds like an oxymoron, works without effort. You remember Paul said if you're going to strive, what did he say? Strive to enter into the what? The rest. So it sounds like a misnomer. It sounds ridiculous, but that's the way God operates. Agape love produces works without effort, effortless. How often I've heard people, you know, they'll see a musician play. And 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 if you really enjoy it, it's because he or she was able to perform it effortlessly. I I've, I've seen people talk about singers. And it was like they, they hear her favorite singer, where Oh man, I love listening. Oh, did you see? She sings like it's effortlessly. Why? Because it is. Why? Because it's genera- generated from passion, from genuine love of what they're doing at that moment. So it looks like second nature, and it is, because it's being produced from a heart of passion. But that's still nothing that we can, in a Christian sense, muster in for ourselves. Jesus said, Without me, what? You can do nothing. Jesus doeth the works. He does the works. We're the tool. We're the instrument. If you're a believer in Christ, we're the instrument, but, but, but He is the manipulator. He is the initiator. He's the one who is using it, and I'm so thankful for that. It's the same principle, really, in producing fruit naturally without effort, without straining, without moaning, without groaning by nature. When you think about it, You can walk through an orchard, a fruit orchard. I'm from California. There's a lot of them there. I've been to many of them. And I don't care what the fruit is. You'll never walk through the orchard and hear them trees groaning and moaning, trying to pop out an apple, or cause the fuzz on a peach to poof, you know. It doesn't happen that way. They effortlessly abide in the ground, and by nature they produce what we use as food. And their fruit just continues to come back year after year on most plants. And It's a beautiful thing that God has created, but it's the same way in your life. It's not something you have to strive for, gang. And so often we think of it that way, but we want to quit doing that. Because when you're trying to do then it will be evident, you'll know it. Now, you might fool other people, but you're gonna get tired of it. But when you just allow, when you're abiding in Christ, when you're just in the Lord, and you're allowing the Holy Spirit to just produce those things in your life that are supernatural fruit, it's effortless. It's effortless. Other people will see it as passion. Other people will see it in other ways but it's fruit, and it's fruit that will remain. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 through 19, this is what Jesus said about trees. He said, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Now, verse 18 is the one I really want to get to. He says, but a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. It can't. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Oh, there's a judgment day coming, my friends. You know, the old saying is every Christian has a past, but let me tell you what, every sinner has a future, and it ain't a good one. Oh, God uses imperfect vessels to do his perfect will. He takes a barren tree that's no longer producing and he makes it alive by the power of the Holy Spirit and as your spirit becomes alive in the orchard of God, you begin to produce fruit. You will. You have to do nothing. Christ has done it all. It's what he has done and he produces it supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and your life will be a living testimony of that simply by abiding in Jesus Christ. You cannot bring forth bad fruit. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith in Him, then you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, there's a baptism. But the initial salvation, that initial sealing of the Holy Ghost, that's done when you come to Christ. You're sealed unto the day of redemption, Ephesians 4.30. Therefore, you are a good tree. You are. Empowered by the Holy Spirit supernaturally, producing good fruit. It's not something you have to do, like I said. It's something you will do. Because it is fruit, not works. And there's a vast difference between the two. Last week, you know, the Apostle Paul exhorted us to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, he says, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay. How do I know I'm doing that? That's what he's telling us today. Well, Here's the evidence that you're walking in the Spirit. Why? Look at the verse again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. The word temperance there is an interesting word. I challenge you, your homework, of course, is to go back and look up each and every one of these words in the dictionary. You know, the word temperance is a cool word because you ever heard of somebody who has a temper... Or he's intemperate. That's what it means. So it's temperance. Against such there's no law. And they that are Christ and if you're born again, you are His. Have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, Paul said. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. The pursuit of vainglory has led many people astray. And unfortunately, I said this in our Wednesday night study, but I think it begs repeating. Many people have wound up in the ministry because of vainglory. Because today, there's this, I, I, just to prove my point, on Facebook, I'm seriously considering just quitting, even being on it, because there's so much stupidity on there anymore, so much ungodliness. But there's this little ad. And it always shows some guy, some kid standing behind a pulpit. It says, you too can be a Bible teacher. You too can be a pastor. You too can be a youth leader. And I'm going, you know, yeah, if God calls you. But that's not what they mean. What they mean is if you go to our school, you 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 jump through the hoops. We'll give you a piece of paper and you too. Whether you believe or not. At one time, I'll give this one to you for free. It's not my notes. Me and my wife were having a discussion on the issue of abiding. Because even that term we think of sometimes as something that we have to do. Abide in Christ. Well, yes, if you're in Christ, you are abiding. But we tend to see that as a work. We tend to see that as something that I have to do. You know, that I have to cling to him, you see. And we should cling to him. But what you never want to forget, gang, is while you're clinging to the Lord, he's clinging to you. And let me tell you one thing. He's much stronger than you are. And he will never let you fall. He will never let you go. Never. Abide. Today, so often people just want to do something, you know. Some people are just looking for a job. So they wind up in a position within the body of Christ, unfortunately, because of vainglory. They think that it's somehow a a thing. You know, I've always said this, and I know people take it the wrong way, but I'm going to say it again because it's true. I've been in the ministry for way too many years, and I know it's a fact. You know, here's what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If any man desires the office of a bishop, you know, you know, that would be a pastor. He desires a good work. Now, every time I've taught through 1 Timothy, and if you haven't heard it, go back and download it and listen, you'll hear I said it then. Paul said, if if any man desires the office of why did he say that? Because I think Paul in his right mind was, was wondering who would want it? Who would want it? Who in their right mind would desire that kind of stress? I'm not joking. And people always go, wow, well, why are you doing it? (laughs) And I'll tell you why. Because the Lord has called me to it. I've always said it, and I'm not asking for pity. It's just a statement of fact. I've had older women, and I remember one lady from Calvary Chapel Big Church was attending in Zanesville one time, and I said this from the pulpit. I'm going to say it here in a minute. But she rebuked me for it. I just laughed at her. I said, well, you can rebuke me all you want, but I still believe it. I said, I'm the most reluctant pastor that's probably ever, ever darkened the door of a church. Why? I don't know. Come up here and sit in this position for a couple weeks and tell me how you enjoy it. If God's not ordained you to do it. Now, if He has ordained you to do it, then He changes your heart at that moment. He gives you the grace at that moment. I was telling John Chester this morning, I said, this has been the most easiest experience of pastoring a group of people I've ever had. What a blessing it has been. Now, it hasn't always been that way, and I'm still just as reluctant as I ever have been. And that's never going to change. I hope it doesn't. Because it creates in me the ability not to rely on my ability, if that makes any sense to you. Because so often people find themselves in this position. And if they're not called, disaster is what will happen. If it's not in their life, it will be in maybe their life and in the lives of the people that hear them. Doesn't mean they'll stop doing it. Thus, that's why you see the church in turmoil today. The church of Jesus Christ is in great turmoil because we have too many men who are occupying the seat of a bishop or a pastor are not called. They read an ad. You too. All you got to do is jump through the hoops. That's crazy. So we're not to do it out of vain glory. You know, provoking one another. Don't do it for that. Allow the Holy Spirit to be the one who does it. Those who are Christ, that is those who belong to Him and are known by Him, are crucified. That's a present tense. You are. The old man who walked according to the works of the flesh, who only cared about himself, who only did those things which pleased him, is now clean through the word which is preached unto you, Paul said. You have become the children of the living God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You have become a royal priesthood. To offer of spiritual sacrifices holy and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's who you are if you're in Christ. You are part of a royal orchard. Good trees producing not only good fruit, but much fruit. Fruit that will remain because we are empowered, not by the works of the law, but by the hearing of faith in the Holy Spirit. Continue to abide. Rest in the Lord. And let the fruit of the Spirit be what people see in your life. Not the works, but works that are produced by the Holy Spirit which are effortless because they're supernaturally produced. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And Lord... We know because you told us and it's so evident, Lord, you're you're so wise that without you we can do nothing. Father, without you and without you doing the works, Lord Father, all the good that we would do is simply philanthropy which will pass from the minds of those who receive it without ever giving you a thought of glory. But Lord, this morning I pray for those who have given their life to you, Lord Father, but maybe, maybe because they're just immature in you, have tried and struggled, Lord Father, to produce that which only you can produce by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to rest in you. Help us to simply abide in your grace and your mercy and the Holy Spirit and to allow you to do what you so supernaturally and effortlessly do through your people. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you.